Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. We're in a series called Your Failure is Not Final. And the reason we've been digging into this series is, well, to be honest, it's kind of a downer after a song like that, because what we're talking about is that failure is unavoidable. So let's, we just spent time celebrating how God is to us. But one of the things that is the truth about our world and our lives is that failure happens. No matter what it is, things happen the way that we don't want them to. Things change, things get difficult. We go through difficult times, but learning how to handle those is a skill that we actually have to learn. Now, just last week, my wife and I, we registered our daughter for kindergarten. And I know we have a lot of more experienced parents than than us in the room, but like that was like, it was a bit of a moment. And we were there and we registered it and the principal happened to be there. And he just says, hey, would you like a tour of the school? And we're like, well, sure, we got the time. And so he takes us around the school and shows us this place that our our daughter and eventually our son are going to be at. And we get to the end of this tour And he talks to us a little bit about kind of their philosophy as a school, like what their purpose is. And he said to us something that that just resonated with me and with this whole series we're doing. And he said to me, is the one thing we ask you to do as parents is you got to play games with your kids and do not let them win. You have to beat them every time you play a board game or sports or something. You need to win and don't let your kids win unless they've earned it. And he's saying, you got to do this. And we're, and he, we're kind of like, yeah, that, that's a good parenting advice thing. And, you know, it's always fun to win, too, as a dad. But uh, some, some of the games, it's 50-50 now, I tell you. But the point is, he said, there is a difference in the students, even as young as kindergarten, of if they know how to handle failure, if they know how to handle loss, if they know how to handle disappointment, if they know how to lose and still carry on. And that just resonated with me because that's really why we're doing this whole series. All of us will experience failures in our life and we have to figure out what are we going to do to move forward? What are we going to do next? And so in this series, we started off by talking about grieving our losses. How do we actually handle and process emotionally what happens when we fail? And when we process that, are we willing to let Jesus meet us in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of difficult times. And that's an an internal step. That's something that happens internally in us in this process. And then the second week, we talked about reviewing and owning what went wrong, like taking some time to debrief the situation and figuring out what is the portion of what happened that belongs to me? What's the portion that I'm responsible for? What's the part that I did that caused it? And how do we own 100% of whatever our percentage is? is. How do we take that and actually learn from it and process it? Both of these are internal steps. And then last week we had Sean from Youth for Christ here, and he talked about when we take that internal process and we make it external, and we actually have to go to the person we've heard or the person that our failure affected and say, how do we seek restoration? How do we actually start that process of reconciling the failure, repairing what went wrong? And that's not an easy thing. In fact, it's a learned skill. It's something we have to develop and practice at. And throughout this series, we've been looking at a parable, a story that Jesus taught. And Jesus, he had some enemies during his ministry. There was this this one group, really the Pharisees and then the religious leaders. They were kind of the, the big shots of the day. And they didn't like the way that Jesus taught. They didn't like the way that he encouraged people, the way that he was talking about faith in ways that they didn't understand. 
And when they asked him, why do you spend so much time with notorious sinners? Why do you spend time with these tax collectors, which were really like the organized government-sanctioned mafia of the day? They're like, why are you spending time with them? Because the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they had this idea that if you were going to be holy, if you were going to be devout and and pious and, and be close to God, you had to separate yourself from anything that was unclean. They believed in following their old covenant law to the strictest possible degree and said it's all about are we being righteous are we doing the right things but then jesus comes along and he's teaching about god and he's being a rabbi and he's traveling but he's doing all the things that they wouldn't do and so one of these times and there was multiple times that jesus had interactions with this group and different people in this group but one of the times jesus responds and he tells three parables three stories with a point and the last one is the one we've been digging it's the story of the prodigal son and maybe you've heard this before even if this is your first time attending a church maybe you've heard bits of this story at some point it's a well-known story and there's how it goes like this is there's a man who has two sons and the younger son goes to the father and says to him i want my inheritance now will you give it to me and shockingly the father agrees and so he gives his son a portion of his wealth that would be his inheritance when the father dies. And the son takes it and he goes off to a distant land and he wastes all the money in wild living. And then a famine hits the land and the son can't find work. And eventually he finds a farmer and persuades the farmer to let him feed the farmer's pigs. And he's at this point, this rock bottom point where he's been grieving what's been happening. And he realizes, you know, back home, the hired servants, the day laborers that my father hires when there's extra work to be done, they have more than I do. So he decides to do something very different. He decides to do this. He says, Luke 15, verse 18, 19, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. This is a statement of repentance of saying, I was wrong. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He says, I'm not worthy to be your kid, but would you let me work for you in this no job security, day by day position? And this is what he plans. This is what he's thinking. And so he decides to return to his father to apologize and to ask for mercy. Because as Sean pointed out last week, under their old covenant law, for a son that acted the way he did, when he returned, the punishment for his actions would be death. And so he knows when he goes back to his father, there's a chance his father could say, yep, take you to the the town gates and we're going to stone you because of your sin and what you've done wrong. So he decides to go and ask for mercy, to ask for that punishment to be withheld. And now we're going to pick up the story and we're going to dive into what happens next. And so the son starts returning home to his father. And while he was still a long ways off, the father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He runs to his son, embraces him and kisses him. This is not the reaction the son was expecting. This was not a typical reaction. In fact, you don't see older men running that often unless they're at a gym, right? You know, like even in first century, like the father is the respectable head of the household. He doesn't run to people. Other people run to him. But here's the father. He runs to him. He embraces him and he kisses him. And so the son starts his speech that he's been rehearsing this whole time. The son says to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and with you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And he's about to say, will you take me on as a hired servant? But the father cuts him off. 
he actually doesn't even address his son. This is funny. He says, but the father turns and says to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. He doesn't even let his son finish his apology when he does this. And there's some significant parts of this that we might miss from our 21st century eyes. When he says, bring the finest robe in the house, he is saying, my son needs to be clothed in a way that is proper for my son to be. His son's probably coming in dirty clothes. I mean, he's been feeding pigs. And the fact that he says, bring sandals for his feet means his son was probably arriving barefoot. And he's saying, no, you need to look the part of my son because I have called you back to be my son. And then this part where it says, get a ring for his finger, that's not just jewelry. In fact, a lot of scholars and commentators say that because of the way things worked in that era, this ring would have been known as what's called a signet ring. And it would have had an inscription or a marking in it that represented the father. And the bearer of that signet ring could do business as if he was his father. He is being given authority to run the household along with his father. Now, just wait a second. What did he do when he got a whole bunch of money? Just a little while before, he ran off and wasted it. Now, you might be thinking that's a foolish move on the father, but maybe he's learned his lesson. But the point that the father's doing when he says, bring the robe, the ring, and the sandals, is saying this is not just reconciling a wrong. He's going way beyond that. And then he calls for the calf, this special animal they would have been giving a special diet to have ready. And and meat wasn't as common in their diet because, I mean, there's no refrigeration. They haven't figured out preservatives yet and all that stuff. And so when you butcher an animal, you got to eat it all right away. So this isn't just like one household. They're calling the town in to say, hey, we're having a feast. And why does the father do this? It tells us in the next verse, Jesus goes on with the parable and he says, for this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. So what is the father's response to his son's failure? How does the father handle this when the son comes back? Well, we saw that he gives him a robe, a ring, a sandals. He throws a party. See, I think what the father does is he goes beyond reconciling and he fully restores his son into the household reconciling would have been doing what the son asked and saying, yes, I forgive you, now you can be my hired servant. That would have been reconciling. But restoring is he brings the son back to the state he was in before, makes him part of the household. And then he goes one step further. He kills the calf, calls for a party to be made, and like this would be a big party. We're going to find out in a moment just how big it was. But throwing a party for his son's return goes beyond restoration And he starts blessing his son with this. See, the robe, the ring, and the sandals, they were all marks of identity. They were all marks of his identity being restored from the wandering lost son who he thought was dead to being alive and part of the household. And then he goes one step further and he blesses his son with this feast and this party to celebrate his return. Now, the people listening to Jesus tell this parable, they would be shocked by this turn of events. In fact, the father has done everything wrong according to their customs and traditions and their law. Because what the father does right off the bat, A, he doesn't punish his son. And Sean talked about this last week, that this is a moment of mercy. Because mercy is when we withhold a punishment that is deserved. The son goes back knowing he deserves a punishment. But the father says, no, I'm not going to punish you. 
That's the first step. But then the father goes further into what we know as grace. And grace is when you give an undeserved favor and blessing. The son didn't earn it. The son doesn't deserve it. He's not entitled to it in any way. But the father gives it to him freely. He gives favor and blessing to this younger son who was lost and comes back. And so Jesus tells this story about a father who gives extravagant mercy, grace, and restoration to an undeserving and rebellious son. He does the exact opposite of what he should do. And in fact, the name prodigal, when we talk about this parable, we call it the parable of the prodigal son. Most of us tend to think that prodigal means, oh, someone who left and then came back, because that's what the son is. But the word prodigal actually means something different. The word prodigal means to be reckless and wasteful. So when the son left, he was reckless and wasteful with his inheritance. But when he hit rock bottom, he came to his senses. He came back to plead, to beg for mercy for this lowest position. But the father responds with overwhelming grace and radical love towards his son. In fact, there's a a lot of commentators, a lot of scholars that look at this parable and say, no, we should actually call it the prodigal father. Because the father is so reckless and wasteful with his love for the son. He goes way beyond what he should in welcoming his son back. So remember, Jesus is telling this parable in response to being questioned, why do you hang out with the people you do? Why do you spend time around the people that we reject because their sin is so obvious? Why do you do that? And he, so he tells the story, but Jesus isn't done yet. See, Jesus is a master storyteller. When he talks and when he's teaching, there is an authority and there is a structure to the way he talks that is still mind-blowing even today. So you've heard the expression, you know, don't bring a knife to a gunfight. What Jesus does next is literally bringing a gun to a knife fight or rolling up in a tank and saying, all right, let's do this. Because the way Jesus responds to these Pharisees and religious leaders is meant to put them in their place because he brings another character into this parable. He brings the older son back up. And so as these religious leaders and Pharisees would be sitting there being like, I think he's like slighting us. I think this thing that Jesus is saying, it's not making us look good. They'd be getting upset. And then Jesus brings out the haymaker. And he says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, what's going on? This party is big enough. He hears it from the fields. As he comes back, he's like, what is going on? And so the servant tells the older brother, the one who remained, he says, your brother is back and your father has killed the fattened calf and we are celebrating because of his safe return. This is a party. Now, what does the older son do? The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. He would not go and join the party to celebrate that his brother has come back. And so the father has to come out to the fields and begs his older son to join the party. He's saying, come on, you've got to celebrate with me. And so the, the older son replies to his father. And, he, and we can read the tone into it. We know what he's feeling when he says this. He says, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. He's saying, I've been the exemplary son. I've done everything. I've done all the work, everything you ever needed. I've done it. And in that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. And, and in the economy of the day, 
a young goat was one-tenth the value of a calf. He's saying, I've worked for you. I've done everything you've asked. I've followed every command. I've done everything you've ever wanted. And you never even gave me a reward that's one-tenth of what you gave this brother of this other son of yours. And in fact, he says this in the next verse. He says, when this son of yours, he won't even refer to him as a brother. He refers to his younger brother as your son, meaning he's disowned his brother already. He says, when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. What's the older brother doing here? He is condemning his father for his actions. He is saying to his father, you are wrong for what you've done. He's angry. He's ticked off. So what do you do next? See, the older brother, he was physically present with his father. He stayed with him. He worked with him. He did what he wanted. But he was just as relationally distant from his father as his younger brother was. The younger brother at least physically removed himself from the household to demonstrate how broken their relationship was. But the older brother's response proves that even though he was there physically, relationally, he was not. He didn't have the connection with his father that the father wanted. And so the father responds to me, says, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. When he says, dear son, this is a term of affection. He's saying, no, no, I still love you. I still love the older brother. Even though you're here, even though you've been with me all along, I still love you. And don't you realize that everything I have is already yours? Don't you realize that everything we're working on, everything we're doing together is yours? You have this just as much as I do. This is the father's response. He's trying to point out to his older son, because I'm throwing this celebration, it doesn't mean that I don't love you. But don't you realize you've had this all along? Now, when Jesus told this parable, this was the third of three parables in a row. And we're going to hit the rewind button. And before we see what the father says next to his older brother, we're going to go back and we're going to look at these other two parables and see what Jesus is building towards when he responds to these Pharisees. And so we go back to Luke 15, verse 4, and Jesus started his response to the Pharisees with this parable. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and his neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus goes one more, and this is the second parable in the series. He says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins, and one silver coin was one day's wage. This is ten days' worth of wages. She has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. Then he says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus tells them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son asked for his inheritance and he took it and he went off to a distant land and he wasted away in wild living. He hit rock bottom. He's feeding pigs. There's a famine on the land and he chooses to come back and ask for mercy. And the father responds with a warm embrace, restores him, redeems him, blesses him with a celebration. But there's this other guy. There's this older brother who's been there all along, who comes in from the fields, but he won't join the party. 
and he won't agree to celebrate that his younger son has returned. So what's the point that Jesus is driving here? What's the point of each of these parables? See, there's one more verse to each of these parables that we're going to go back and read now. And this is when Jesus, after each parable, says, this is what it means. So when he says, suppose a shepherd loses one sheep, he goes off, he finds the one that's lost, he comes back and rejoices. And then Jesus says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Then he says, there's this woman, she has 10 coins, all her wealth in the world. She loses one coin. She loses a tenth of it. She sweeps her house. She searches for it carefully. She finds it. She calls the neighbor, says, rejoice with me, celebrate with me. This is great. And then Jesus says, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Then he says, a man had two sons. The younger son ran off and he comes back. And the older son is there, but he refuses to be in a relationship. And the father replies to the son in the parable. He says, we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. This is the depth of the gospel. This is exactly why Jesus came. This is exactly what God has been doing since the very beginning of the earth. He is looking for his creation. He is looking for those he loves, which is everyone, to come back to him. So when Jesus tells this parable, he is slamming the Pharisees and the religious leaders because their self-righteous rejection meant they refused anyone who didn't live up to their standards. Now, there are reasons why the Pharisees and the religious leaders acted the way they did. But Jesus is saying, even though you have your reasons, your reasons are wrong. Because this is what God has been doing since the very beginning of the earth. This is what God is doing now by putting on flesh, by coming into the world, by being with humanity and teaching and sharing with us. This is what God desires, what he wants. So this is what Jesus does. He is declaring in these parables that God loves everyone regardless of what they've done. What you've done doesn't matter. Because no one is beyond the reach of God's love, mercy, grace, and redemption. It doesn't matter how far you think you are from God. You're actually not. Because God is always reaching. God is always trying to draw near. God is always trying to get closer to us because of the depth of his love for us. That's the love that we've been singing about, the verses that Alistair read before. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were doing well more than enough of that, and they got the whole thing wrong. But here's where it ties into failure. Because when we make mistakes, we feel awful. We feel terrible, we feel distant, we feel depressed, we feel sad, we feel sorrow. But are we willing to let Jesus meet us in the midst of those? Because when we fail at something, when we lose, when things go wrong, we often take that on as a piece of identity. And we may not say it outright, we may not say it verbally, but inside our heads we often do, and we say, well, I'm just a failure, I'm just a loser, I'm just a screw-up, I'm just a mess-up. We say those things to ourselves in our head, and we take our failures and we make them part of our identity. And that is not the way that God has for us. That is not what Jesus came to do. In fact, when Jesus tells this story, 
He's driving home the point that God's love is so great. Nothing we do can put us beyond the reach of God's love. And what's more, our failures don't have to define us. When we choose to find our identity in God's love, find our identity in Jesus, instead of finding our identity in our failures, we can choose what is the source of our identity. And time and time again throughout Scripture, through everything Jesus did, through everything he came to do, was to drive this point home to say, your failures, your sin, your whatever you've done does not separate you from God. You can choose to find your identity in me. That's what God is saying through this parable. That's what Jesus is teaching. That's what he's driving home. In fact, this is the message. This is the core of our faith. In a nutshell, God's love is so great for us. All we have to do is to choose to accept it. All we have to do is to choose to accept his forgiveness, to accept the embrace of a loving father. We can make that choice to be like the younger son instead of being like the older son who is there. And the older son really is religiosity, religion for the sake of self-righteousness. That's what the older son is the example of. Jesus says, no, we need to be like the younger son, no matter what we've done to come back to our father. We're going to end the service with another song. I'm going to invite the band to come up and and we're going to sing this song together because it's a song of identity. It's a song where the lyrics talk about who we are in Christ. And if you're here and this is a step that you need to take, I want to present that maybe this is an opportunity for you. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to choose to say, I'm going to let my identity be found in Jesus rather than my failures, rather than my sin, rather than whatever's held me back. I'm going to choose to find my identity in Christ. And if that's where you're at, I want to invite you just to take a moment during the song and just pray. It doesn't even have to be complicated. It can be as simple as, God, I know my mistakes. You know my mistakes, but thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your love. I'm choosing to put my trust in you. That's all it is. That's all it takes to say, I want to take this step that's going to define where I find my identity and what the rest of my life looks like. And so I want to invite you to reflect on the words on the screen, to stand and to sing along as Alsh and the band lead us in this song. That is the heart of the gospel, that we are who God says we are. We are not defined by our failures. We are not defined by our mistakes. And so if you have taken the time to make that prayer, to say that I'm choosing to put my faith in Jesus, to accept God's forgiveness. I believe what Jesus said is true, that there are angels in heaven celebrating that together. That that is an opportunity to celebrate and rejoice that we are choosing to be like the younger son, that discover that embrace of the father. No one is beyond the reach of God's love, mercy, grace, and redemption. And if that's the step that you've taken today, I want to ask you to do something. On the connect card you got, there's a little spot that says, I'm deciding to commit my life to Jesus. Would you check that off and drop it off in the boxes on the way out? We want to celebrate this with you, and we want to connect with you and share with you and and see how can we help you go deeper into your faith with Jesus, and how do you start this? Because one of the other things that I talked about before is baptism. Baptism is this declaration of what God has done in us. And all throughout Scripture, baptism is always presented as an immediate response. It's not a when you've got your life figured out. It's an immediate response to say, I want to make this declaration 
that Jesus is changing me. And so if that's the, the declaration you're ready to make or you just want to have a conversation about it, there's another spot. Say, I want to learn about baptism and I'd love to connect with you about that because that is why we are doing what we're doing as a church, to see people come and experience God's love and grace and hope and mercy and forgiveness. That's why we're here and what we're trying to do. And so if that's the step you're at, I want to invite you to do that and connect with us. And just before we go, I'm going to give one little promo for what we're starting next week because we brought this series to a close. Next week, we are launching a new series called Nucleus. And we're going to be talking about who we are as a church, who we are as a community of faith, what we're doing and where we're going. And this is a series you're not going to want to miss. So folks, I hope to see you next Sunday. And I hope that today has been the start of something amazing in your life, a renewed relationship with Jesus. Folks, have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.